Hello, everyone. Before I jump into today's episode, I wanted to give you a little sneak peek of what we'll be doing today because this is something new that we haven't done before. As you know, I've been doing branding challenges for some of the people in my life, my siblings, my in-laws, people I care about, to show you guys on the podcast what it's like to work with me as a client and how my process works. So the next branding challenge that I'm going to be completing is actually a brand for Abby. And as you know, Abby is so fun and creative and also smart and professional. She really has a lot of stuff going on that I wanted to showcase in her brand. So I decided that rather than having some of these conversations that I would typically have offline, I'm going to record it. Abby and I are sitting down. We're actually in person this week because she is visiting me, which is so fun. So we're sitting down together and I'm going to be hosting a makeshift brand strategy session, which is exactly what I do for my real clients. And I'm going to be walking Abby through the questions that I ask all of my clients to understand really what they're hoping to accomplish with their brand, to get an idea of who they are, and then help me put it all together. I'm excited to have you guys listen in on this conversation. You'll see that it's this really cool blend of structure and flow where I have questions and answers that I want to get, but it's also very intuitive. And if there's something that my client wants to talk about, I let them talk about it. I let them run with it and I listen and I pull things out. After my conversation with Abby, I'll wrap up this episode and let you know what I'm thinking about for her brand and where I'm hoping to take things. So take a listen and I'll jump back in at the end. You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name's Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're going to talk about how to bring your brand to life. Welcome back to Aesthetically Speaking. Hi, everybody. We're excited today because we're doing something a little bit different for our branding challenge today. Have you ever wondered what it actually looks like to consult with a brand strategist about what your brand should be? both in terms of messaging and positioning and the design and aesthetics. Today, we're going to teach you all of that and more. I'm Rebecca. I'm a branding expert, and I'm here with my sister, Abby. Hi. So today, what we're doing, instead of our typical branding challenge where we walk through a completed brand, we're actually going to show you behind the scenes of a full brand consultation. So what happens when I have a client who is ready to build their brand strategy is we have what I call a strategy session. And it's basically a collaborative workshop where I ask a bunch of questions about my client's brand and their goals and their audience. And we get a bunch of information and then I take that and turn that into an actual strategy. Abby's brand is one that we'll be creating next. So we're going to walk through this actual strategy session with her and show you some of the questions that we ask and some of the discussions that we have as we're creating a brand. And I would say this is This is not different from what Rebecca has done with the other siblings who have had their brand challenges. I just happen to be the podcast co-host, so we're going to record it. Right. Yeah. These are conversations that I've had for all of the brands that I've presented as episodes so far. We're just recording it this time because we want you to see what that looks like. And And also because I'm special. Yeah. And because Abby's special. And because I think it's interesting to see how things happen. My typical process is both 
very organized and very intuitive because I want to allow for whatever topic is important to kind of take the lead. And so what I tell my clients at the beginning is I am leading this session and I'm going to make sure that I get answers to all of the questions. I don't want you to worry about anything other than speaking comfortably. So whatever comes to your mind, say it. Don't be afraid to say, that's not exactly what I mean, or what I'm trying to get at is this. Don't be afraid of repeating yourself. And don't be afraid of using whatever metaphors or analogies or pop culture references work for you, because that helps me get a sense for the personality and the tone of your brand. Okay. Let's start at the beginning. What I what we would typically do before even this session is we would have had a phone consultation and you would have kind of a branding questionnaire to fill out so that I would have some basic information about your business. Okay. So well, let's you start. could ask you could ask me that. Yeah. So let's start with that because I want to know what you want to build a brand for. Right. Yeah, it is a little ambiguous. So if you've been following the podcast, you know in my professional life, I'm an attorney, I'm mm-hmm. a lawyer. Within that field, which is really broad. I am a civil litigator. So that means I'm not trying to bring people together and resolve disputes. I'm going to court when they are entrenched in a dispute. Okay. I do civil stuff, meaning people who are suing each other for money or to stop doing something. I'm not putting people in jail or getting them, preventing them from going to jail. Gotcha. So that's a little bit more narrow. The subject matters that I'm most interested in. Mm-hmm. I love intellectual property. Mm-hmm. I don't have a science background, so I mostly do copyright and trademark. Mm-hmm. I also am super interested in anything having to do with data privacy, mm-hmm. with government surveillance, with the interactions between technology and individuals. And then I've also done some pro bono and maybe not pro bono civil rights work. So people who are suing the government, trying to get them to stop their behavior in a certain way. Yeah, I think that covers it. So does a litigator mean that you only do stuff in court? What does a litigator mean? So eventually litigation ends up in court. A lot Mm -hmm. of stuff will settle before then. Okay. But I would think of it as, imagine like a scripted dialogue in an opera where like one side sings Uh and then the other side sings. Yeah. So there's this volleying back and forth. Uh So I'll, I'll file a complaint. And a lot of that is in written work. Right. And then when there's a a, a dispute about something serious about whether or not the case can go forward or about what kind of discovery documents you have to turn over. Right. It will go before a judge. Okay. So even before it, even if you never get to the trial phase, Mm -hmm. you are interacting with the people and there's often a court aspect to it. Cause you'll go to a hearing and you'll say, your honor, they only gave us half the emails and we need all of them. Here's why. Mm-hmm. And they'll answer, but it's kind of that, that dialogue back and forth in writing. And then also oral advocacy. That's a part of my job. Gotcha. So who, well, let me ask it this way. Your clients, like the, the civil individuals that you represent. Yeah. Who do they interact with most? at the law firm? Are they interacting with you? Yes. Is it like there's a liaison? Like how does that kind of structure work? Right. So it varies. It varies in every law firm you're at, but typically because I am a newer attorney, I'm considered an associate. Okay. And then there are the people who are invested in the business are Mm -hmm. partners. Okay. So it's not impossible for me to recruit and bring clients into the firm, but for every case, there's a partner 
and then usually multiple associates working on it. Okay. I still interact with the client. I can send them emails. I can ask them questions. I'm in meetings and lunches with them. Okay. But because I'm not senior enough to be supervising, it's not my neck on the line usually when something goes wrong. Okay. And hopefully nothing ever does go wrong. But that's just to say like, I am a member of the team and the clients will know me, but I'm not the point person. Right. I'm not like the person they usually have a relationship with. I'm usually working with existing clients. Right. And just helping out on one specific project. Right. So in the world of pop culture, uh-huh. we've been watching the show Suits. Yes. So your partner would be Harvey. Yes. And you would be Mike Ross. Yeah. And it, the weird thing about most legal TV shows is that they have no distinction between different practice groups. Okay. So like in the first two episodes, you see Harvey working on deals. Uh-huh. He's dealing with regulators uh-huh. and he's also filing patents. Right. And those are really three separate teams in the law firm. Mm-hmm. So Harvey might be the partner who's organizing and managing all of those projects, but it's right. very, it's borderline unethical to have a, a brand new associate who doesn't really know how the law works. Yeah. Doing all of those projects for the first time. Like right. if your client found out that you were doing that, they'd be very upset. Right. I was also, I was thinking of projects that I've really enjoyed working on. Uh I really like art and the interaction, like creators and protecting creators work. And some of that is overlapping with intellectual property, but some of it also just has to do with moral rights. Okay. I'm also coming, coming from a clerkship. I'm really interested in the interaction between the states and the federal government. Okay. And who's in charge and who can make what rules. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of legal doctrines about that that I think are interesting. And then along with the internet stuff, I think the interaction between big tech and government is very interesting Mm -hmm. and knowing what your rights are as an internet user. And one of my professors wrote an article about some of these technology doctrines. It's called who do you sue? Okay. And that's a big question if something goes wrong on a social media platform, like who is it that you sue? Right. And it's it's different now that we have these global companies, the the regulation mm-hmm. for what they're allowed to collect about you and what they have to disclose to you and what they can report. Here it varies state by state. In Europe, they have the GDPR. And so it's very uniform. Right. So there are some things, I think Google's new chatbot, mm-hmm. not available in Europe because it collects information that they don't allow. And right. And Things like that, I think, are interesting, too. That might be more nuanced than matters for this, but I just wanted to bring it up. No, I like that. So in terms of your brand, what do you want a brand for? Do you want it for Abby Pace, the lawyer? Do you want it for your own law practice? Right. What's so the there? I don't have any aspirations at this point of hanging up my own shingle mm-hmm. and branching out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that is that we've moved a lot in my career and geography does matter for lawyers. Right. So to have a successful law practice, I would have to be able to bring my own book of business. And you you typically can't transport that across state lines. And that's just not my skill set. Yeah. So what I was thinking, I think it's useful to have a a personal brand Mm -hmm. when you're working in a law firm so people know Mm -hmm. your skills and what you're good at. Okay. So you're not necessarily looking to grow a brand for your own law practice. No. So what are you hoping you want a brand for? So I'm actually hoping for you to brand a separate product that's is legally related like my education mm-hmm. will be useful but it's not intended to recruit people and it's it's actually more public facing not internal towards other lawyers if that makes sense 
Well, maybe I'll tell you what, what do you mean is. about internal. I didn't catch that last part about internal versus external. Yeah. So I'm not looking to brand myself to other lawyers to like move up um, in my firm or get a new job. I'm looking for something to basically educate people mm. about the role of the law. Okay. And it's public facing. It's not internal towards other gotcha. legal professionals. Gotcha. Your ideal client is a lay person. A lay person. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And did you already say the name of this? I may have. So I reserved some time ago the Instagram handle, not legal advice. Which I love, by the way. Yes. I think it's like a little bit catchy, a little bit twee. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would like to do with this is I would like to have something that captures kind of two things about the law. One is I feel like whether you are a person who is in like a heavily regulated field mm-hmm. where you have to be licensed or where you're interacting with you know, lawyers to make sure that your product is complying with some safety regulations, or you're just a normal person living your life, mm-hmm. you interact with the law all the time. Mm-hmm. Like the music that you hear on the radio is determined by laws. And the things that you have to bring to the DMV are determined by laws and where and when you can vote. Yeah. And how long your kids are in school and when they're supposed to be in kindergarten. So there's this whole like secret network. Mm-hmm of these rules that totally affect how people live and what choices they're allowed to make. Right. But it's really unknowable. Yeah. So until, until, until a long time ago, you had to pay for a subscription to even look up the laws in your own state. Interesting. And the internet has made it a lot more open, right? Right. Most states now put their statutes online and you can search for, you know, what are the foster care laws in my state? Mm -hmm. What are the education laws in my state? But sometimes even within that, Unless you are sophisticated enough to know what terms to look for. Right. You can't know all of that. Yeah. Anyway, so what I envisioned for the not legal advice brand, Mm -hmm. some of it I think is just interesting knowledge about the law as a way of life. Mm -hmm. So I can see it being, you know, capturing some interesting data about the laws, Mm -hmm. showing what things are transparent, making, Mm -hmm. making things just more publicly available. Yeah. For example, there's a lot of there's a lot of things in pop culture that you might not know why they are the way they are, right? Unless you understand the law. Um, right. My second year of law school, I took a flight, and I don't remember what airline it was, but their safety demonstration was to the song Rhapsody in Blue. Okay. And I immediately was wondering, like, why haven't I ever seen this in advertisements before? It's so iconic. Yeah. It's really catchy. It's well-known, but it it has a lot of variety and it's very, like, representative of Americana. Yeah. Well, and then I started counting because something is in, something's copyrighted for the life of the author plus 70 years. Right. And so once it falls into the public domain, you don't have to pay royalties for it anymore. Right. So I start looking it up and sure enough, just that year, it had fallen into the public domain. Interesting. So, and the same thing, like the Great Gatsby recently fell into the public right. So you're going to see a lot more adaptations mm-hmm. and t-shirts. And <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I think tidbits like that are fun and they educate people about the law, but in an interesting way that's tied to pop culture. Mm-hmm. And that I think is more like lifestyle, interesting, yeah, you know, human interest topics. Right. I also think there's a lot of work to be done in educating people about what their actual rights are. I think journalism has done a good job at this, particularly after the summer of 2020, people understanding like, what are your rights when you're at a protest? 
interacting with law enforcement. Yeah. Um, and a lot of legal aid centers have good information, like what to do if you're about to get evicted. Mm, yeah, so yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to move so much in that direction that I'm overlapping with existing nonprofit work. Right. But I think as a general matter, I think there's a lot of work to be done about basic tenets of the law mm-hmm. that everybody should know just for being a citizen. Right. Um, and this stuff isn't really taught in high schools. It's not required even as like college general ed courses. Right. But I think some basic tenets would be helpful for people just to interact in the world and to be able to understand. And I also think, I've mentioned before on this podcast, the legal profession is really heavily regulated, mm-hmm. which is why the name of my product would be not legal. <laughs> But I think there's a lot of basic information that could be compiled and simplified mm-hmm. for the layperson that wouldn't require you to give individualized legal advice. Right. And I actually think if people were better informed, they would make better choices when they do need a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot more people mm-hmm. could use a lawyer than realize it. Interesting. You know, I was on Reddit reading about some you know, advice from strangers about what to do with my finances. Yes. But there was a thread about someone who had made a purchase of the house and there was a problem with the title company mm-hmm. and the bank. Anyways, there's this is like a complicated problem and this person is set to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And people are resistant to getting lawyer because they see it as aggressive. They see mm-hmm. it as an added expense. They see lawyers as like skeezy. Mm-hmm. But in reality, if you don't know the questions to ask, you might not get a lawyer who is versed in real estate right? or who knows how to ask the right questions or is a good fit for you. And with just a little bit of basic legal education, you would know mm-hmm. what are my rights when I'm purchasing property mm-hmm. and who bears the fault and right. you know carries the risk if something goes wrong. And then you'll also know that you need a lawyer sooner because time is of the essence with a lot of these things. Right. There are times if you don't act, you waive your rights. Right. And a lawyer is supposed to keep track of all of that and represent your interests. Right. So, I mean, that's a dramatic example, but I think there's lots of little situations. You know how often I say like, that person needs to sue. Yes. Or that person needs to send a demand letter. (laughs) Right. Right. So it kind of sounds like there's three things that you're kind of wanting to do. So let me know if I'm kind of getting these right. One is you want to provide general awareness for how the law affects normal people's everyday lives. Yes. Number two is elevating people's education, making law and regulations more accessible and more understandable. And transparent. And transparent Mm -hmm. without giving personalized advice. Right. Similar to how we have a lot of what they call finfluencers, which are finance influencers who are saying, I'm not telling you how to invest your money or what stocks to buy. Yeah. But I'm telling you that there are some principles that you can better understand that can help you manage your money. Right. For example, something, something I would like to do is just make a database to see which states have their statutes publicly available. I don't think a lot of brilliant. That's something that you could Google and find out. Right. But if it were all in one place and you could say, oh, I'm looking for a statute about X, Mm -hmm. ideally, I would like to, you know, if I had unlimited time and resources, I would love to call every state legislature and Mm -hmm. say, hey, I have ideas about how to make your database searchable to Mm -hmm. layperson terms. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to know what a lien is, L-I-E-N, which is a legal term. I have always wondered how to say that. (laughs) Yeah, it's lien. (laughs) 
you don't have to know these fancy terms Mm -hmm. to look it up, or you don't have to know what your state calls revenge porn to find the statute about Um, what to do if someone takes a picture of you in the bathroom. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. And then, so I was going to say the third thing sounds like you want to positively influence the perception of lawyers and help people see how lawyers can help them. Yeah. So not just law as a whole, but specifically legal professionals. Yes. And I, I'm not so lofty as to think that I want people, you know, through, through reading my educational content or participating in, you know, whatever communications I'm sending out. I'm not the lobbyist. Mm-hmm. I'm not the crisis PR management firm for the legal profession. Right. The ABA can deal with that. They have enough money. Right. But for me, I really view it as like I'm bridging the gap and I feel like I'm bringing the law to normal people. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to bring normal people into the law. Right. And I think that's a good distinction. I was going to say when you said, I'm not so lofty to think <laughs> I want to do like a freeze frame <laughs> record scratch because this is something that I hear my clients say all the time. I'm not so egotistical to think that I could really change the world, right? Or that yeah. like I could really do this or that or, or you know. And I'm like, actually that's exactly what we're going to do by building you a brand. And that's why we build a brand and that's why we, you're not doing a PR thing. Right. Because what you're trying to do can only really happen through organic education and some kind of what I said tell people is you need some kind of movement. Yeah. You have to do that with a brand. You can't just do that by like publishing a website or writing an op-ed. You need that kind of grassroots that social media and branding can give you. Yeah, that's a good point. And the whole point of building a brand is to be lofty and to be really aspirational. And and it's my job as the expert to say like, okay, yeah, yeah, I hear you, but I'm going to create a brand that is at level 100, even though you say that you're only aiming for like level 50. Okay. (laughs) I just think that it's a totally normal thing and I think it's good. Yeah. So, okay. Those are kind of the three areas that are coming through. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. In addition, this, this might be trivial, but I can, I also think there is a need for some legal products. Okay. Like explain more about that. Well, I think I would love nothing more than to consult legal research technology mm. and just talk about how to make it more user-friendly, more mm-hmm. accessible, how to help the search functionality. I think a lot of state legislatures, as I've said, have, have, have some transparency issues or there's just a lot of inertia when it comes to bringing the law to technology. There's a lot mm-hmm. of fear about AI right now in the legal profession. Yep. Um, every profession. It, every profession is worried about it. Some. Some are on strike more than others. (laughs) So I think there there is the need for more like law and technology services. Mm -hmm. And eventually, I think that could be a really interesting field to move into, maybe in even as like a full-time consultant or professional. But on a lower level, I think there are like physical products. The, The quintessential starter fact for a lawyer these days, you started a law firm and they give you those yellow legal pads. Okay. That have been around since the dawn of time. Yes. And they must be yellow for some yeah, reason. Yeah, why do they have to be yellow? When they were assigning colors in the pre-existence, <laughs> the lawyers picked yellow. <laughs> so you get those and then you get some like, this is always the case. Mm-hmm. You get one of those inky pens, mm-hmm. but it's red or blue. It's never black. Uh-huh. Lawyers hate black ink. I think because they like, when you're drafting a contract, you circle stuff in color. Yeah. 
But as a person who exclusively writes with big black pens, yep, it same. absolutely drives me insane. And none of them are ballpoint. Yeah. And then they give you a branded hydro flask okay. with the name of your law firm on it. Uh-huh. And some random object that you've never seen before. Uh-huh. Like I got a screen wiper. Okay. To I like, would say like a paperweight. Yeah, like a paperweight or something to like polish your blue light glasses that is also branded with the law firm. Uh-huh. And that's the level of sophistication that there is. Yeah. <laughs> so technology-wise, I think legal research has come a long way. You have these big databases that are internet-based. Yeah. Document sharing has come a long way. Yeah. Electronic discovery has come a long way. But like the basic bread and butter of what lawyers are using are these really hard to use legal pads Yeah, like you have to flip back through your pages. They always look messy. Well, and I don't understand, this is a side note, but legal pads, do you flip them over and then write on the back? I don't write on the back. So you write just one side, side. which kind of makes sense because you're not worried like you can just flip through. Right. The, my, my personal beef with legal pads Mm -hmm. is that the way my brain works is spatial Mm-hmm. So if I read a book, I can remember a quote mm-hmm. and I can remember which quadrant of the page it was on, left yep. or right, up or down. Yeah. So when everything is on a legal pad mm-hmm. or when I read a PDF on a screen and there's not the, the mm-hmm. book fold, mm-hmm. for me, it's harder for me to recall where it is. Yes. Anyways, this is a dumb example, but no, I, I think it. it's just reflective of how archaic the legal profession is. And it would be nice to have some things tailored to you. Like it would be nice to have a planner that mm-hmm. took into account some of the things going on in a law firm mm-hmm. or in a regulatory office, or if you work for a judge. Right. I don't see a lot of personalized products going to those people. Yeah. Or trying to fill their needs because it is just very archaic. And mm-hmm. the assumption also is that a lot of the stuff is supposed to be provided for you by your law firm. Mm-hmm. And so they control what kind of pens they have and what kind right. of post-it notes and how they file documents and how they organize things. And I think there's room for a lot more individuality, but Mm -hmm. also there's some interesting things that I think could help lawyers. Yeah. Beyond that, I also think it would be fun to do some, uh, like just a little bit more whimsical stuff Mm -hmm. to represent that the law is a way of life and that it interacts with people. The summer of COVID, I watched a lot of Project Runway. Okay. But I would actually have these dreams about putting legal principles as fashion. Okay. This is getting really out there. And some of it was like, oh, imagine if you had to do an avant-garde fashion inspired by one of the rules of civil procedure. Okay. Or one of the rules of evidence or a court case. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think that abstract thinking was would be really funny. And that's actually what my dream was about. But beyond other than like some funny t-shirts that say like, I like to argue, I'm a lawyer. Yes. (laughs) There's not a lot of sophisticated Mm -hmm. merch for lawyers. Mm -hmm. Again, other than if your law law firm or your law school gives you a branded quarter zip. Right. There's not a lot of like expressive merchandise for lawyers that is really takes into account how sophisticated the law is. Right. And I think... There could be a lot of interesting inside jokes yeah, that law students would like to wear or mm-hmm. represent mm-hmm. or just interesting things, like not necessarily clothing based, but just like the merchandising of the law in a high level way. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's yeah. not really like I want to run a t-shirt business. Yeah. But like I have ideas and I think having a brand 
yeah would help me say like this is my level of expertise i want to bring the law to normal people right and then also here are products that would help people in the legal profession or normal people right. express their interests and their interactions with the law yes i think it goes back to goal number 3 which is changing perceptions about lawyers i think there's also changing the understanding and kind of the culture yes around legal professionals because as we know from all the legal dramas that we watch, there's only a few types of lawyers. Yeah. There's like the sneaky, snaky lie about whatever it is to yes. get what you've done what you can do. There's like the super egotistical. And then there's the cheap lawyer who's not very good. Right. And there's always an aspect of to be a really good lawyer, you have to be born a genius. Mm-hmm. Or the notion that most people at this law firm just worked really hard and went to good schools, but the rock star, he's a maverick. He's not like everybody else. Right. right. And also they're all met. Always. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I like to ask that we've touched on a little bit is what misconceptions do people have about your industry or your product mm. that really bother you? A lot of the a lot of the stereotypes of lawyers are true to an extent. Yeah. I think a lot of stereotypes about accountants or designers are true to an extent. And there's a reason for them. Yeah. I will answer your question. The other thing I was thinking about just generally, Mm -hmm. it is interesting to me how much branded stuff there is about nurses. Oh, yeah. Versus other professions. Yeah. Or if there is branded stuff for other professions, it's like a little bit insulting. Mm -hmm. But it's like the nurses really cornered the market on having like the memes and the bumper stickers and the funny things. Yes. Anyways. Maybe it's more, if, I also think it's more acceptable to be proud of being a nurse than to be proud of being a doctor. Well, I was going to say there's there's a lot of like cutesy stuff for nurses. And then if you look at other people in the same category of like first responders, there's a lot of pride type sayings or merch for police officers, firefighters, those kinds of people, because I think there's a high level of respect for those positions. Yeah. Even though the perception has been changing. But lawyers are somehow kind of exempt from that. Yes. Nobody's like, I'm so proud to support my lawyer. Right. A lawyer is kind of viewed as a necessary evil. And if you are if you don't do anything wrong, you shouldn't need a lawyer. Right. Yeah. I think the misconception, I think, is that lawyers are sneaky mm-hmm. or like w- will do anything to get ahead. Yes. Which I think is really funny having now you know, going through the ethical background check to be barred in more than one state. Yeah. It is so invasive. Yeah. It is so, so in-depth. I've had to list every place I've lived over the last 10 years. Yeah. Which for me is, I think, five states and three countries. Yeah. I have to put character references. Yeah. Other lawyers have to vouch for me. Yeah. Anyways, if you were a slime ball. Someone would find out. Right. I'm sure there's been someone who was like very good at covering their tracks and got away with it. And they happened to know all the TV producers. So that's what everybody clings to. Right. But I think no one, if you're a good lawyer, Mm -hmm. you're invisible. If you're a bad lawyer, everybody wants to talk. (laughs) Yeah. I also think the notion that lawyers are like these savant robots who just memorize the whole constitution or memorize the US code and can recite stuff back to you. Yeah. The legal profession is actually quite creative. Okay. There is a lot of structure to it, but it also is an art form because what you're dealing with is the written word, 
right which is inherently ambiguous right and so you're you're trying to apply something abstract to something very concrete which is an individual person's life yeah and we don't think of the law the same way we think about like a doctor who is treating one individual patient yeah but it is it is a service industry and right lawyers are dealing with people in their worst case scenario Mm -hmm. and usually after they've been suffering Mm -hmm. or losing money for quite a long time yeah so they're they're dealing with people in crisis they're saving people from bad situations or trying to and everybody i mean at least in the criminal justice system you have a right to a lawyer right if you are accused of a crime we accept that Mm -hmm. the state should pay for you to have a lawyer. Right. It's that important. And this person is going to help you interact with the legal system and guide you through it. Yeah. I think we appreciate it when it's that scenario. Right. But outside of the criminal context, we think, oh, good people don't need lawyers Mm -hmm. or we can resolve it on our own or lawyers just will make it more complicated and more expensive. And I just really think that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. That's super interesting. So who would you say is the ideal client in terms of the lay person for your brand. Yeah. You say it's like, I'll throw out a few things and you can tell me like if any of these resonate. I could see creative professionals. So not necessarily in like a design field, right? but anybody who is creating something that could include coders, engineers, designers, writers. Yeah. I think, I think most creatives need more, need to be instructed more on their legal rights and responsibilities mm-hmm. and what they gain and give up when they're mm-hmm. doing their work for a company. Mm-hmm. I think in general, that is an underserved population. Yeah. It's, I I don't dream of being like the lawyer influencers. Right. But actually maybe I do because I think people who are in the online space mm-hmm. who are selling and representing themselves and making a ton of contracts with companies, mm-hmm. they need to understand what their liabilities are Right. Many of them still don't know what there was the regulatory stuff about advertisements under the FTC. Right. You see it all the time. People are giving a lot of bad advice on the internet. Yeah. A lot of people are telling lies on TikTok and they think there are no consequences for these things. Yeah. And they are. Yeah. Sorry, I said that wrong. There are. Yeah. Like there are there are repercussions for all of these things. Right. And so I think I, I would say like the high level internet user is probably my ideal client. Okay. Somebody who is blogging or ghostwriting mm-hmm. or influencing mm-hmm. or trying to build a business online. I think yeah. with my interests, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go so far as to call it a specialty, but with my interests, I think that's probably the people who would need content. I think there is a lot of the general public needs to know more. Right. But I think that's that's too broad. And I think if you can start with people and how they're interacting with the internet, whether or not they're using something that is copyrighted, Mm -hmm. what the risks are, if they comment something that is mean or defamatory, (laughs) like I comment on Donald Trump's mugshot yesterday, for example, I think yours (laughs) is an opinion. So you're probably pretty safe. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So let's dive deeper into that group a little bit. And uh, meme lords. I would love to. I'd love to meme lords. lords. Oh my gosh! Is did you make that up? Is that what they're called? No, that I think that's a term of art. It's a real thing. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Okay, so tell me what a meme lord, a creative entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and an influencer have in common. 
So I would say these are people, they're trying to express something about Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. So they're doing something that's creative. Mm -hmm. They also need to interact with the public at large. Yes. To attract clients or to have their ideas get out there. Mm -hmm. And I do think ultimately what I like about being a lawyer and what I also like about creative fields is that you're dealing with ideas. And I love that. The the other aspect, specifically in today's economy, is that these people, the medium by which they're translating their ideas to the public is technology. So there's this mediator, there's a third party involved. Yes. And that you're using technology, you think of it as something that's static. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is just a tool to get me from point A to point B. Right. But really, you have to think of it as like another person in the transaction mm-hmm. because the terms and conditions are changing all the time. Mm-hmm. The law and what's permissible is changing all the time. You might be trying to keep up with trends, but not knowing how far you can extend them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of what happens on the internet is just like mixing a lot of other people's work. Oh, yeah. And so trying to figure out how to attribute it and what level of risk you're comfortable with. And all of that together, I think, makes for some really interesting questions. Yeah, I absolutely love that. (laughs) And I just think it's so cool because this happens all the time where, and you haven't said, I don't know what I'm doing, but a lot of my clients will sit down and be like, I don't really know. And then as I ask them questions, they rattle off very profound things like this. And I'm like, you totally know, like you just have to have somebody who can pull it out of you, you know? So. Tell me these people, where do they go to for information? Reddit. They're all (laughs) (laughs) Okay. They're on Reddit. What do they like about Reddit? Um, Why is that a good source of information? I was mostly being facetious uh, because (laughs) that's where I get all of my information about it. But I think most of these people are probably looking like nobody took a crash course in internet ethics when all of this happened. This is is probably another dumb analogy, but if you can remember what was cringy on Facebook when you were in high school, Mm -hmm. like what was acceptable then versus what's acceptable now. Right. Or like it used to be annoying if you double posted on Instagram. Yes. But with stories, it's acceptable to post. Yes. As long as it's not more than like 10 per day. Right. There's all these unwritten rules that are totally, they're fake, they're made up, but it's like there's these cultural aspects Uh and it changes over time as who is using the internet technology and how pervasive it is. Right. Gross. So I think there's not a guide for people who need to use internet media to mm-hmm. reach their audience. Right. It's like the wild west. So they're oh, probably yeah. looking to people who are selling online courses. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, I don't think have retained counsel and retained. If you've heard that term before, it means someone who's like on call for you. Okay. So it's not like, oh dear, I just got a cease and desist letter. Mm-hmm. I now have to figure out who to call to fix this and how to respond. Right. What companies do is they pay a flat fee to have you on retainer. I'm using finger quotes. Right. And then they'll call you and say, hey, we got this cease and desist letter. Help out with it. Two weeks later, they'll say, hey, we got a, le- a letter from OSHA. Can right. you help with that? And so you're always on call working with the same client. Right. For people who are running these like media conglomerates, basically yeah on internet platforms maybe the agency that they're working through has some lawyers for them but based on some of the content they're producing yeah it's like probably not maybe not and it's it's changing all the time yeah right so i think a lot of people are just like googling for answers yeah 
what are some of the brands that these ideal clients like? Hmm, brands that they like. I think because I think one thing that will that would come out as I put together this brand strategy is the fact that your ideal clients are people who care about being ethical on the internet. Yeah. There's a whole group of people who just don't care. Right. They're basically committing fraud at this point. Yeah. There's a there's a to, lot of bad advice. Yeah. On the to grow a business or to get followers or whatever it is. And while I hope that we can change expectations and perceptions and that will trickle down to them. Yeah. I think your most ideal clients are people who are like, my business is growing more than I thought it would, or I want to publish these ideas, but I want to go about it in the right way. Right. And I would say, if you are someone who is on the fence about, should I be an internet scammer or should I be a legit <laughs> What you don't want to happen is to have a really great idea, mm-hmm. go about it the wrong way, get a lot of capital, mm-hmm. and then get sued for everything you're worth. Right. It's much better to build it sustainably yes. and do the right thing from the beginning so that you know it's if you are successful yeah. in life, it is not impossible to imagine that you could be sued. I think that's a lot of people's worst case scenario. Yeah. And I think that needs to change. Disputes happen. Misunderstandings happen. Yeah. But if you are in contact with a legal professional and you are getting sound advice, mm-hmm. and I don't mean like anyone who visits my blog will know right from wrong, but I mean, like, yeah, my ultimate goal is that you have someone you can call. Right. And then when you get a letter saying, hey, you stole my I- I, I put this on Etsy 10 years ago and you stole it from me. Right. You don't have to worry about it. You'll yeah. go, I know what my rights are. Yeah. My lawyer can handle this. Yeah. And you're you're not worried about losing the farm over little tiny disputes. Right. Right. So I don't remember what your original question was. <laughs> what brands or what products do you think your ideal clients like? Yeah. I'm trying to separate this from what they use. I think that I think sometimes those can be the same thing. Yeah, I can see like Etsy. Mm-hmm. Etsy is something that's super useful for creatives. Mm-hmm. I do think Reddit, people who are mm-hmm. people who are just like online mm-hmm. people are on Reddit. I imagine that they probably use Stack Overflow, which if you're not common, is like an open source code forum yes. where you can post code and get feedback and people can share code with one another. Yep. So anytime I have a question, that's basically right. where I go. I also am thinking of people who are, this isn't a specific answer, but like people who have a favorite internet browser, <laughs> people yeah. who know enough about the internet yeah. to say, I like this browser because I can customize it in this mm-hmm. way, or I don't use this browser because it's settings do X or it's tracking me in this way. Right. People who are have preferences at that level, I mm-hmm. think are likely to be my, <laughs> yeah. my ideal clients. Yeah. I think your ideal clients sound very smart. Mm-hmm. and. Um, we can create a brand that speaks to them like they're smart, right? Right. We don't want to do something that's patronizing, right? Or something that's too basic level. Yeah. Like I think we can make it more sophisticated. So how do you want, this is kind of where we get into the positioning of your brand versus just like, who's the audience that's out there right now? How do you want people to feel when they interact with not legal advice. Yeah. When they interact with the brand, I want people to feel that was easy. Mm, Yeah. Not all legal questions are simple. There's a lot of thorny and complicated stuff, but I, I don't want to draw people into a conversation about the paradoxes of law or about all of the jurisdictional problems. Right. Like 
I love doing that in my own free time with my lawyer friends. And that's why we're a little bit insufferable. Yeah. But I want people to feel relieved. Yeah. That I came here and I found the answers. Yeah. Me personally, I feel like in my life, I really want people to take me seriously. Mm -hmm. So I never, this is also a dumb example, but like, I never felt like I could wear bows when Mm -hmm. like the Kate Spade kind of whimsical preppy stuff was in style. Yeah. I was like, if I wear this, I look like a little girl and I want people to take me seriously. Yeah. And so I want it, I want it to be reputable. I want people to feel like they can trust it. Mm -hmm. Not so much that it's like lecturing them. I want it to be colleague to colleague. Mm -hmm. I'm a professional in the service industry. I represent, Yeah, you know, I represent the law and I'm going to tell you what it is to the best of my knowledge and the information that's publicly available. Right. And I respect your authority and your autonomy to make your own decisions, but you should know here's what's behind the curtain. Here's all the things you need to think about. Right. Yeah, I like that a lot. I would like it to be like not so harsh or fear-mongery. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's a lot of room for humor or, you know, fun facts. Yeah. about, And there are some really interesting, funny legal concepts. Yeah. But I I went back and forth about, you know, all of this kind of started during the pandemic when I had free time. Yeah. And everybody was just on the internet more than usual. So I yeah. had compiled like a whole bunch of screenshots of judicial opinions with really funny words. Okay. There's a lot about the law that is funny. Yeah. Or interesting or just really weird. Yeah. And I would like to talk about that more, but I don't want this to be a meme account. Right. And I don't just want it to be like so in the weeds. I feel like that about legal Twitter a little bit. Uh-huh. It's just like appellate lawyers yeah. laughing at their own jokes. And yeah. that's not really what I want for this, but I'm not opposed to something that has a sense of humor or is a little bit lighthearted at times. Right. I think it also kind of begs the question, is there a way to get normal people to appreciate those things, like those jokes? Or is it like, this is just something that lawyers will appreciate. And maybe there's a sub brand that's not legal advice for lawyers. Right. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I see the distinction. I think I have a lot of ideas about things that would improve the legal profession internally. Mm-hmm. Right. So I do think I kind of am trying, I'm probably trying to do too much here and I need to sure. refine. But in terms of the educational transparency initiatives mm-hmm. that I'm interested in that I see as to the layperson. Mm-hmm. the products that I think would be funny probably would sell to lawyers. So those probably are two separate brands. Yeah. I do think a lot of the education is about lawyers, but I think it, you would word things slightly differently if you're trying to explain it to somebody that is not a lawyer. Right. One word that I like that you've mentioned a lot is transparency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we could explore in the actual branding somehow. Interesting. One thing that I wanted to ask you is how much of the legal world is influenced by the academic world? I would say a a little bit. Like there is crossover. You will see judges, even at the Supreme Court level, cite law review articles written by law professors. Okay. So a lot of times what happens is lawyers who are practicing law. And by practicing law, I mean representing clients. Mm -hmm. Those people are too busy most of the time. Some people pull it off because they have insomnia. (laughs) Yeah. But most of them are too busy to like sit down and write a hundred page treatise. 
Right. So you'll see what most law firms have on their website is they'll have a blog that will have, here's an interesting court case that came out. Here's how it will affect our clients. Yeah. And it's not that people are overworked in law firms to the point that they can't have original thoughts, Mm -hmm. but their focus is helping their clients. So it's it's a practical focus Mm -hmm. and anything they're doing about the state of the law generally or recommendations for how to improve it is on their own time. Okay. And these are people with beyond full-time jobs. Right. People who are law professors, their job is to publish. So they will have time to look through. I read every court case that dealt with the Communications Decency Act, and Mm -hmm. I have compiled it here, and I've done the statistical analysis, and I can make this, you know, I can make this broad statement about what this says about the state of the law. Yeah. That's something that if there's a Supreme Court case about it, they might look at it and say, oh, that's useful information. Yeah. So they'll like verify it, right? But having something get traction in the academic world can influence the law at a at a higher level. Yeah. That's probably a longer explanation than you wanted. Yeah. So there is crossover. I think the other thing that is tricky is practicing lawyers, either because of the ethical rules mm-hmm. that are imposed on lawyers, which is a very high bar. Uh-huh. Like one of them is that you can't be dishonest. Just period. Period. And so it's like, okay, anybody who cheats on their spouse can't be a lawyer. Yeah. Or like anybody who- Who told tells- their kid about Santa Claus. Right. <laughs> and I'm I'm not advocating that lawyers should be able to lie more, but I think it's, it's at that high of a bar. Yeah. And the, so the ethical rules, people are scared to violate them and they don't want yeah. to- like giving legal advice to someone who's not your client right. can open you up to some ethical violations. Right. And I really want to steer clear of that, obviously, and everybody does. Right. So practicing lawyers often don't want to write a fringe opinion yeah. in case it affects their bottom line. And most yeah. firms also will have like an anti-moonlighting policy Interesting. or, you know, they don't want you to take an interesting academic position in case one day... Right. They get a client who needs you to take the opposite position in court, and that makes you look inconsistent. Right. So I I think some of that is not necessarily mandated by the ethical rules. Yeah. It's just in the shadow of the law. People are so worried about it. Yeah. That they're like, okay, we won't do, we won't say anything publicly about this. Yeah. But it also makes it harder for lawyers to be creative or to take an interesting position. Right. And it also hurts people who need lawyers who don't understand what they do or don't trust them or don't know how to work with a lawyer. Right. Right. We have talked about before, not on this podcast, just Mm -hmm. the need for someone to say like, do I have a claim here? Right. Is this problem that I have a legal thing? Right. And there are many lawyers who will give you a free consultation. Yeah. But it's really tricky. Like until you sign an engagement letter mm-hmm. that says you represent me for X and not for Y, right? Lawyers are hesitant to just tell you. Maybe they give you their take and then they're wrong. Can you sue them for malpractice? Right. Anyways, so it's almost like you need a pre-lawyer, mm-hmm. and a lot of firms do this. You'll meet with an assistant, yeah, or a, a paralegal, yeah, who can give you the basic framework. Right. But what you really need is you need a pre-lawyer to say, yeah. here's the name of the problem that you have. The name yeah. that you have is copyright infringement. Yes. The, the word you need is defamation. Right. And you need a lawyer who who specializes in that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay. So to kind of wrap this up with where we want to go, 
So we've talked about the audience Mm -hmm. that you're trying to connect with. And we've talked about kind of the position that you want your brand to have. And let's talk about you a little bit. Okay. What is your personality? And what do you think it means to be transparent? What do you think it means to be accessible? What do you think it means to be interesting? Yeah. Not providing legal advice. Talk to me about some of those things. Yeah. What am I like as a person? Great question. <laughs> well, we know you're an Enneagram five. I'm an Enneagram five. So I I love to just like read all the way down to the bottom, mm-hmm. get to the core of something. Mm-hmm. Um, I love like a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yes. I think I am quite social. Mm-hmm. I learned this in law school. I'm very extroverted for lawyers. Oh, interesting. Most people. Most lawyers are not extroverts. I, or just I think less so. so. I think the people who do well in law school are more likely to be introverts. Interesting. So my best friends in law school, shout out to Colin, my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> but Colin and I became friends because everybody else just wanted to be alone in the library all the time. Yeah. And we would just kind of like hit a wall. Yeah. And we'd need to go on a walk or get some food. Yeah. So in law school, I spent probably like 16 hours a day with Colin because yeah. I mean, I loved it. Yeah. And I would have chosen anyways, but most other people are not available like that while they're studying that much. Right. And Colin and I are both very extroverted. And so it worked for us to just be, hey, let's like we were always the people studying in the courtyard. Yeah. Because then your friends would walk by and you'd get interrupted. (laughs) Right. What else about me? What do I believe about transparency? I, as a person, I really, really hate red tape. Mm, okay. It it like fills me with rage. Yes. I was on the phone with an American airline. I'll leave it to your imaginations which one it was um, for two hours last night to change a flight mm-hmm. and then to rechange the flight after they made a mistake and they charged me for their mistake. Mm-hmm. And there's like something fundamental about me that believes it shouldn't be this hard. Mm. It shouldn't be this hard to find the answers to something. And I think that's part of being an Enneagram 5. I believe fundamentally that like the answers to the universe should be finite and knowable. Yes. But also accessible. Yeah. I should not have to suffer so much. Yeah. Or wait so long on hold. Yeah. To find the answers. Yeah. It should be out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think that's really good. I was going to say one of the things that we've talked about, but sometimes I have to ask that actual question is just kind of, you know, what's the the big problem that your business is solving? And we talk through kind of like the tangible, the intangible. And one of the things I like to ask is the philosophical problem, which is really like, why is it just plain wrong that people experience this? And so I love that phrase, like it shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. It shouldn't be this hard to get help. It shouldn't be this hard to protect your ideas. Well, I think some of it also, I have a very strong sense of equality. Mm -hmm. And there's something about, we're based in the United States. Mm -hmm. We have civil rights. The Constitution protects your rights versus other people and versus the government. Right. And we we have things that aren't on the books. Like there's probably no law out there that says it's wrong to cheat your neighbor, but like it is a tort. Right. And we say it's wrong to lie. If you mislead someone, there's something wrong with that. Right. But it bothers me on a fundamental level that even if you have those rights, they're guaranteed you mm-hmm. by being a citizen or not even a citizen, being a person who is physically in this country. Right. You might not even know how to protect that. 
because you haven't done enough research. Right. Or you didn't follow the most recent Supreme Court term. And that's something that's yeah. so protectionist and elitist. Yeah. And fundamentally bothers me. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So there you have it. A little insight into what it looks like to be my client, to come to a strategy session, to talk a lot about yourself and your business and give me some of the answers that I need to put together a really cool brand for you. As a brand strategist, I have two goals. One is to synthesize the information that my clients give me and give it back to them in a way that makes sense. The other is to create something completely new, to give you new information and new insights that you can use to grow your business. So I want to do both of those things. I'm excited because I think there's a lot of opportunities with Abby's brand to do something that is kind of tongue in cheek where we're using like really boring legal academic kind of designs and maybe really fun colors or maybe a really quirky font. I could also see something that has elements of a really elegant design juxtaposed with something that's really funky and maybe retro or just really like gritty and dirty kind of looking. So I'm not exactly sure how it's going to turn out. I'm going to put a bunch of ideas together and bring you guys along when I present the final brand to Abby in another episode. I hope this conversation with Abby gives you an idea of what it's like to be my client. It's important to me that my clients feel seen as individuals and also that their business is understood. So I like to ask a lot of questions. I like to say, tell me more about that, or can you explain that better? If you want somebody to give you a lovely but surface level brand, I may not be the designer for you. But if you are a deep thinker, if you care a lot about the products or programs or services that you're offering, if you believe that the value you provide is infinitely more than what you're charging for it, having a deep, thorough, intuitive branding process is key to creating a brand that really works for your business. I want to wrap up by just telling you a few things that I look for in measuring the success of my clients' brands, because it's not just, does it look good? And it's not just, does it help them make money? It's much deeper than that. There's four things that I really focus on in creating brands for my clients that are effective. The first one is authenticity. So making sure that the brand represents the unique value and meaning of the business, and also that it's the most authentic representation of the brand owner. The second is connection. Does the brand make a strong connection between the business and their offerings and their ideal clients? Does it do that through designs that are professional and trustworthy? Third thing is identity. So does the brand help my clients increase their brand authority and elevate their self-image? Does it help them see themselves in their power, give the right words and images to their goals and dreams? And lastly is growth. Does the brand help my clients grow their business according to their personality, personal values, and core desires? I don't think that great brands happen by chance. I think they happen when you make smart, powerful decisions. And it's a lot easier to do that when you have the right brand strategist and designer at your side. If a brand is something that you want to build in 2023 and beyond, please reach out to me as I'm accepting one-on-one -on -one clients for my signature brand and website service. And I would love to chat with you about what kind of transformation I can bring to your business. Thank you so much for tuning in today and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aesthetically Speaking. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a nice review or connect with us on Instagram at Rebecca Peterson Studio. 